You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 30 of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I'm delighted to be joined by the Western League social media manager. It is Mr. James Healy. Hello, Jim. How are you? Very well, Ian. Sat in the sunshine. We're on Skype and I'm just looking at my picture. I look like Marv from uh, Home Alone, the burglar with his crazy hair and rubbish beard. All I need is the um, the iron print on my head. And I would look like Marv. I cannot wait for the barbers to open. I um, I was going to say you look more like the honey monster because you're sort of, you know, I wouldn't have had you down as an aggressive burglar, you know. No, nice and cuddly. Yeah, very much so. Um, and uh, Although that's a subject probably best left to Mrs Healy. Um well, anyway, I mean, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? Feeling good, yeah. Um, now the weather's turned, but they give it cold next week. But um, the easing of the lockdown, you're seeing people out and about smiling in their like, socially distanced, but meeting more people outside. So looking forward to seeing some some friends and some family soon, hopefully. And also, hopefully, the return of some football. We'll, we'll need for some serious things to change at uh, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport if we're going to get in before May the uh, the seventeenth, but every day um, does indeed bring us closer. Um, well, I mean, you know, you say you've been seeing people out and about in Bristol. I mean, of course, people have been going out and about in Bristol for quite some time in the evening, haven't they? Gathering they in large guilty. groups. I haven't been. I haven't been. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, um, we're quite away. Well, we're just outside of the city centre. We're down by Ashton Gate, but you could hear the helicopter above, uh, flying above all the all the riots and that so it's um yes yeah, quite a controversial subject isn't it it is yeah let's uh, let well let's steer away from it on this week's um tool station western league podcast we hear from the first team captain of portishead town nathan truman of course we had nathan on um before he was diagnosed with a rare synovial sarcoma in december of last year and and um, he's um been talking to us again about his uh, his roadmap through his treatment. Um, so it's uh, great to catch up with Nathan again. And also we welcome back an old friend, an old, old friend um, of the Toolstation Westernly podcast. It is the former Bradford Town manager, Danny Greaves. Now, Danny's currently playing his trade in the Southern League at um, Froome Town, but Danny was um, really keen to, to to get back on to the Toolstation Westernly podcast and have a chat about his memories of being um, at Bradford Town and and also some of the other issues that are going on in, in football at the moment. So I'd really recommend that. And of course, Nathan's interview um, uh, to you this week. We've also got um, James's week on Twitter and um, I'm sure we'll be having a little bit of a chat at the end of the podcast as well, myself and James. But just to kick us off, then we'll we'll go back to Portishead um, to Nathan Truman. Um, really great to catch up with Nathan. Very interesting to hear not only about the fundraising activities that he continues to do, but also about his treatment pathway. So I started by asking him how he's feeling today. Yeah, feeling well at the moment. Um, came back from my last lot of uh, chemotherapy. Uh, on Friday and yeah doing well thank you that's good now for those listeners who perhaps didn't hear our first interview could well can you remind us a bit about the uh, the condition that you've been diagnosed with yes so back in about mid-December I got uh, diagnosed with a grade four aggressive um, synovial sarcoma in my shoulder they have given me a treatment plan and I'm near enough about halfway through it 
so the type of condition that you have, did, have they said anything about how typical it is that somebody of your age, I mean, you're 21 years uh, of age, you know, obviously you're, you're fit, you, you know, you play Western League football. How typical is it for people in your situation to actually be diagnosed with this? So the, the, the cancer is extremely rare. Um, it comes under a sarcoma, which sarcoma is just a, a form of a rare cancer. But the cancer I have is more common in younger people. Right. So rare cancer, but it is more common in uh, people of my age, uh, below about 30, 25. Because we often think about sort of serious health conditions, you know, affecting older, more vulnerable people. But I mean, we should remember that, I suppose, a little bit like the coronavirus, it doesn't necessarily discriminate, does it? No, no, definitely not. I've, I've, I've seen in hospitals and stuff that um, it can affect anyone at any age, really. You've, you've said you're about halfway through your treatment plan. What, what yep. further treatments have you got coming up? So I've completed four lots of chemotherapy. Um, so that was the horrible bit. The chemotherapy is all done now, and I'm still recovering from the last lot. Um, and I'm now on a five-week um, radiotherapy period, which I've completed a week and uh, one day of. So, yeah, another four weeks of radiotherapy. Um, and then they will be giving me a month's break between the radiotherapy and operation, which they'll be doing scans and a lot of meetings between that time. I mean, you mentioned that the chemotherapy bit w was the horrible bit. I mean, for anybody listening yeah. who's unfamiliar with chemotherapy treatment, what, what are you required mm -hmm. to do? Everyone's chemotherapy is um, different, but um, mine consisted of going in for uh, three full days, staying in overnight every day, um, and being hooked up to uh, different drugs and liquids to help your organs uh, deal with the drugs um, and you'll be on it. I was on it for 20 hours out of the 24 hours a day um, for three full days and then go home to recover for, well, for a couple of weeks and then I was back in for the same amount again. And, and how do you feel when, they've, when, when you've come home to recover? I, 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 I describe it the best to my mates is the worst hangover you could have. <laughs> Um, for about <laughs> for for about a week, um, so yeah, it's it's just horrendous. It's like because it's just all these different drugs go around in your body. It's doing weird things, and your body's not used to it. You just feel headachey, ill, um, nauseous, and just no energy. I was saying to um, a couple of friends that it's it's even hard getting to the to the fridge and getting to the toilet and stuff. It's you're, you're panting when you're when you're getting to the, the fridge and toilet and stuff it's um yeah it's tough let's look to the positive then because obviously um when when you first came on you were telling us about your fundraising i know you, you made a fantastic start H how's the uh, how's the fundraising going uh, at the moment yeah it's still going really well um so we've just gone past um 35 now and yeah, we've there's a couple um, challenges still going with that one, which is really good. Um, got Jackson, who's also a fellow player in the Tool Station League at Hengrove. Um, he's been uh, running 100 miles this month, who, and he's donated I think near enough about 800 pound now oh, himself, which which will be going into the um, uh, the fund. And also one of my uh, 
mates as well, Sam Eastwood, has um, is starting the Murph Challenge, which for seven days, which is I don't know if anyone's seen, but it's uh, it's, it's tough. Um, and he has also been playing the Tour Station leagues before. And um, so yeah, we're we're at thirty thirty five thousand, just over thirty five thousand at, uh, at the moment. And can you remind us the charities that your fundraising is supporting? Yes, yeah, so we're doing it for the Sarcoma UK, which is they do all the research and everything into my into sarcomas, um, sarcoma cancers, and Teenage Cancer Trust, who mainly help with the families and giving cancer patients the help they need. Let's bring this back to football. Um, and we know that the new season is likely uh, to start, that the new Western League season is likely to start in August. I mean, what are your concerns for non-league football at the moment as we, you know, as hopefully we come out of the pandemic? It's going to be tough getting back into it for teams. Um, obviously, of this long break and everyone kind of still not know what's going on because I know the government have put in a plan already of um, what they want to do, but it's still not confirmed. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough, but I think players want to get back and going. Um, from what I know from um, all of our group chats and stuff, the boys are ready to get going on Thursday and um, get back to it, I think. Because obviously on the podcast, we, we hear from a lot of managers um, and, um, you know, I, I've been able to speak to a few chairmen as well. And, and I mean, you know, I suppose everybody in the game has a different perspective on, you know, on what, 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 they're, what, what concerns them the most. But I mean, you're able to talk about the player's perspective. I mean, uh, do you think players will want to have the vaccine before they before they come back playing? Or do you think that actually, you know, that, that they'll really want to get the boots on as, as quickly as possible and get back to normal? Yeah, I think the the boys just want to get back back to normal. They um, we even during the last time when we came back to it, I think everyone just wanted to get back to it. No one said they didn't want to play. Um, we all knew how serious coronavirus was and still is. And um, we stuck to the rules with changing rooms and stuff. I think I think everyone wants to just get back to it and play again. Especially I do. I mean, if you think about it, I suppose everyone seems to be worried about going, whether they're going on holiday at the moment over, over the summer. But we're going to have to be a bit careful over the summer, aren't we? Because if we undo the good work that's been done, particularly with the, you know, the, the millions of people who've received a vaccine, um, we don't want to be in a position where actually, uh, you know, come August, um, the government are inclined to put in place further restrictions. Because, you know, we're seeing at the moment FA VARS matches that are being completed this season are being played out behind closed doors and obviously that's not what you want to be doing next season no no not at all we yeah we all want to be playing in front of in front of fans and stuff but yeah I think they just need to be careful letting us back into doing normal things and playing football but hopefully they'll get it right this time well and I suppose you've got an you know an added incentive um for your recovery is that actually you, you know that you the new normal for us, we just want to get back down the pub, but actually that would represent quite a significant improvement on uh, on your current circumstances. Oh, yeah. I think just being able to do normal things again for myself and just being back to normal and just <laughs> knowing that I'm well will be my biggest thing for the next few months, to be honest. Um, and, yeah, I think we all can want to get down the pub and have a pint. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, um, before we finish, let's let's turn back to the fundraising um, projects. Uh, have you got anything coming up over the next couple of months? Yeah, so obviously now the government have released that kind of roadmap. We've started to put in quite a bit of planning on what fundraising we can do. So we've we're going to be doing a signed shirt auction soon. We've um, we've got quite a few shirts from Bristol City and Bristol Rovers and Exeter and some of the um, rugby teams as well. Um, and a sponsored bike ride they'll be we'll be organizing and hopefully um when the sun's out and stuff we can do a summer family fun day in at port z which they're already looking at organizing um and hopefully there'll be a charity match alongside that which will be really good excellent uh, well that sounds absolutely fantastic and uh, will you be able to come back onto the podcast and tell us about um the details of that and and how you're feeling a bit nearer the time yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. Now, uh, the most p- important question I can ask you is where can listeners give money um, for your fundraising? Yeah, so um, if you go on uh, GoFundMe and type in uh, Nathan Truman or Nathan Truzy Truman, or even if you can, you can find it on the internet or on social media, just put in my name and you'll find it. That's excellent. Now, one final uh, question for you, Nathan, and that is... Um, that anyone listening to this who thinks that they might have a lump uh, that wasn't there before and, and they're feeling a bit worried about it, perhaps they're feeling a bit worried about even going to the doctor. What's your mm-hmm. message to them? My biggest message is don't be scared. Doctors, nurses, they've seen it all. Um, just don't be scared to pick up the phone. It, all it takes is a five-minute call and 99 times out of 100, they'll cancel it out, cancel anything serious out. Um, but I've I've seen at front of me what time can do to to people, um, and weeks and months can make uh, it so much tougher for to deal with. So yeah, just please just pick up a phone and call a doctor if you feel anything. And my thanks to Nathan for his time. Now then, Jim, I know you've been eagerly monitoring Twitter over the last seven days. Um, what have our clubs served up for us? One to start off with after listening to uh, Nathan there was his running total. It's now over 35,000. So the social media pushing on that is uh, is really good. And looking at his just, just giving page, people are still donating to it regularly as well. Every day, pretty much, people are donating. So it's great that they're over 35,000. So um, that's a phenomenal amount, that is. It's, um, yeah, it's going to do a lot of good. And that's why it's really important we keep pushing this one, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got Bridgewater um, announced their new new logo um, last week and put up a, a video as well. The, I don't know. I'm sure you've seen the video as well, but that is uh, one impressive video. Uh, so well put together. I mean, working in football football league for years, I think some clubs would love to have a, a video output like that. It was uh, certainly a great way to announce the new logo and, and name so yes if you get a chance have a look at the Bridgewater Twitter feed it's um it's a great video that is it certainly is and, and I think the way you know the way for, for us to look at it is it you know it, it raises the bar doesn't it because we've seen a lot of 
very you know innovative uses of social media and graphics great uses of um, youtube as well for, for highlights packages and i'm um, i've got a sneaking suspicion that there are a few club media managers out there who think well hold my beer let's put it like that <laughs> i'm gonna have a go at beer now. you you mentioned there like you, you say other clubs that what they produce as well you've only got to look at like Corsham, parkway rolling at warminster I mean, they all produce fantastic stuff as well. But like you see there, the, I think Bridgewater just raised the bar a little bit. So uh, eagerly looking out to see what the uh, other clubs can produce to to match what Bridgewater have put out, announcing their new new club crest. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, you know, if we go back in back in the day, I mean, uh, you know, certainly Welton Rovers were one of the clubs that first started making a lot of use of social media and indeed, um, you know, highlights footage, video footage on, um, you know, on social media. So it's, you know, it's great to see that actually the clubs, you know, that this is not something that's just done by a few. It's something that's growing. And I think it, you know, it's a great advert for our level of the game. Yeah, it definitely is. Sherborne have been retweeting Colin Goodland. He's writing a history book on Sherborne Town. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Um, he doesn't know how many pages I was speaking to him the other day, but he doesn't know how many pages it is yet. But I think it's going to be a fair few. Uh, but quite interesting. He put, he put a picture up of the team in, I think it was 1907. But if you look at it, they're actually wearing different shirts. So they're the same style shirts, but they're like quarters or halves. But some of them are the other way around. So I was trying to work out if they actually played in them or summer subs or it's really weird, but they're all wearing different, same style shirts, but with the colours the other way around. Yeah. And totally random. I'm just looking out of my uh, living room window and uh, there's a famous Wembley uh, playoff final scoring midfielder that's just walked by. If I was to say, I'll give you a clue. If I was to say Burnley against Sheffield United, do you know who, I, who it was? Uh, no, you've, com- you've completely thrown me. Um, it was Wade Elliott who's just walked by. Quite random. <laughs> that is, and got absolutely nothing to do with social media, but I'm I'm very glad that you threw that grenade in there. That's, that certainly kept me on my toes. And we, you know, the listeners, you've brought the the listeners a unique insight on the people who wander up wander up and down outside your house. Maybe maybe he was having a problem with his internet connection or his printer. He's come round for a cup of tea. See if you can sort it out for him, Jim. Very, very random, isn't it? Yeah, I think he does live around the corner, I know, because when he played for Bristol City, he moved in around the corner. Um, and now he's coaching at Cheltenham Town. Not, I'm not stalking him, honestly. But no, I've just yeah, it doesn't sound by. like it. But it was definitely him that walked by. Maybe we'd get him on as a guest on the podcast one week. It would be quite nice if he had a connection with the Tool Station Western League. But, you know, if we, we'll, we'll delve into Wikipedia. You never know. You never know your luck, do you? We, no, we... that's true. I, I suppose he's still got a bit of talent about him, so... Maybe we could put him in touch with uh, a Bristol club, maybe coach him. Are you making a come and come and get me plea? Yeah, for Wade Elliott. Even though he coaches at Cheltenham and probably works most match days, he might, he might play. Scotty Murray did, didn't he? He played the odd game. He was saying when he was still working at Bristol City on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he played for Shepton Mallet. So you never know. I might have a word with him next time I see him out. Well, you, you do that. I, I've got a sneaking... It sounds to me like you've already had a word with him and you're, you're, you're acting as his agent. No, I'm not, but I, I reckon <laughs> I could do it, you know. I could do. Get all these retired players and line them up with Tool Station Western League clubs. The Mino Renola of the Western League. Fees are very reasonable, I'm sure. <laughs> Who was um, the um, agent with the big cigar? Eric something, I think it was. Eric Hall. Boom, boom, That's boom. There, there you go. I could be the... Uh, I could maybe smoke a big cigar and try and line up all these players. I've never smoked in my life, but... Well, 
you're a bit behind the eight ball then, aren't you? But anyway, I mean, never mind. <laughs> but anyway, that's pretty much it on social media this week. It's uh, another quiet one. I mean, Roland put out a, a tweet after the podcast last week saying that we said nothing was happening and a bit of tumbleweed going by. So if clubs uh, want to get in touch, if they want to promote anything, then feel free to give us a shout. I mean, we've been doing our... Uh, weekly unsung heroes which have been going down really well last week we had ken ord from tavistock on saturday and we had some really good interaction with that and a lot of their players were jumping in saying how much he actually does so um it's good to see that people are really appreciated the volunteers are really appreciated you just got to read what ken does on a match day like driving round his normal match day starts at like eight o'clock in the morning and he doesn't get home much before 10 11 o'clock at night by the looks of it and that's proper dedication so it's nice to see that people are being recognized we still are still waiting for a few clubs to get in touch to nominate their their heroes so if they haven't or if they've got another one they would like to nominate then feel free to get in touch with myself or with with you ian and uh, we'll certainly push them on uh, on our media, social media channels the bad news, listeners, is that we, we, we've got every intention, despite the coronavirus, of seeing this through to the bitter end. And, and by the end, by the end, it's going to be pretty bitter, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we are going to keep this. Um, we're going to keep going, certainly until when our normal season would have ended in April. I've got. I sincerely hope we've still got interest in competitions like the FA Vars into May. But even if we haven't, then there may be some news of some um, Les Phillips Cup action that we can give you. But we will be doing our best to keep the, the podcast going, uh, even if we do have to incre- include a new feature, which is who's walking outside Jim's window today. If you're thinking, Tool Station, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Um, and uh, the second guest on the podcast this week is is a former favourite, one of the nice guys in football, Danny Greaves, the former manager of, of um, Bradford Town, with whom he speaks with great affection, as you are about to hear in the interview that I did with him. Um, but of course, we do talk about life in the Southern League. And uh, I started off by asking Danny how he's been keeping during lockdown. Yeah, finding it, finding it difficult. Um I think over the over the last two years, we've probably played a season's worth of football. So, um, and I've I've been involved in football since since a kid, and is 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 all I've all I've known um, on a Saturday or midweek evenings. Um, so to not have been able to to have done that for God knows how long now it feels like years. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's been really really tough uh, for me, um, but there's there's been some upsides spending some quality time with the family and the kids and um, things like that, which I wouldn't normally get to do. So, um, yeah, there's been some upsides, but certainly certainly missing it and looking forward to going back. And I imagine you've got plenty of DIY done as well. Uh, plenty of DIY, especially in the, yeah, I think the first uh, the first lockdown, um, just, yeah, filling every, filling every week with with jobs. Um, this one, not so much, but, yeah, I'm just looking out the window now. I've got the, got the garden to do. <laughs> Last on my list. Uh, let's t- look at the let's look at the football then. And you, you last played back in December, and that was in the FA Trophy. 
and your last league game was back in November. So, I mean, did you think that, um, uh, you know, when you when you think back to then, did you did you did you have your concerns then that we wouldn't be finishing this season? To be honest, no. Um, I thought it could be another short window again where they uh, suspended football over the Christmas period just to try and ensure that everyone could have a successful Christmas in um, maybe in January the numbers would come down and potentially we will be back in February. I think that was my initial view. Um, but as we got through, um, as we got started heading towards Christmas and saw the numbers, um, I think it was pretty clear then that, that my initial view wasn't going to wasn't going to come true, and um, it, it was always heading towards uh, a null and void season or a curtailed season. Um, so yeah, disappointing, but totally totally understandable when you look at the numbers. And I mean, you had the added disappointment of your of the nature of your exit in the FA Trophy as well. I mean, you know, we've all been sort of looking at the coronavirus regulations to see how we can get football back playing. I mean, you you found yourselves in a in a you know in the invidious position of having the opposite problem, you know, of being able to play in a tournament where mm. clearly you know when the country was really in the grip of this disease. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, the whole the whole situation around that cup tie was, from my point of view, from a taking the football out of it and just looking at it from a, a human perspective was just absolutely crazy. I mean, as a club, we got to the, we got to the third round proper of the FA trophy, which is the furthest the club's ever been. And to not be able to compete in that game for circumstances beyond our control um, and being removed from the competition ultimately, or well, not removed, but we, we effectively forfeited the tie um, because there was just no leniency from the FA on, on um, putting putting the date back, so um, yeah, at the time tier four, I believe it was, which was and um, Kent, which is where we were meant to be heading to play Maidstone, was an absolute no go area, um, and it was we were told we had to play the game by the twenty fourth of December, so that meant either going up on the twenty third or the twenty fourth, which were the dates available. A couple of days before Christmas, putting our players at potential risk and and coming back to spend Christmas with their families, and it was just. From our point of view, it's something we just we felt really strongly about. And football aside, um, we were absolutely not going to put our players in that situation. Disappointing, very disappointing. Uh, the whole circumstances around around that game. I mean, certainly, I think there'll be plenty of people who really feel for you in the club, Danny. And I mean, I think we have to be, you know, fair to the football association. It's not been an easy situation for them either. You know, we 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 either have to get games on in this really difficult situation or, you know, or we don't. And of course we've been forced into that situation now, but yeah. I mean, given everything you've been through and I mean, it has to be said, I think that the Southern league, you, you played less games than we, we managed in the, in the tool station Western league. But I mean, what do you think, what lessons do you think need to be learned as we, as we look ahead to the new season and hopefully, you know, we can get back to playing football properly. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you say, it's been it's been difficult for the football association, for the leagues to try and manage this. And um, I know a lot of people are saying that they should have had contingency plans in place. And and then I listened to representatives from the league saying, well, we did have contingency plans in place. We did send out surveys and ask clubs their view, but nobody could have foreseen that after seven or eight games, which is what it was for our league, that um, we were ultimately going to stop stop football. So I think. Um, having clarity about what those um, options are if this does happen again next season. How many games do you have to play for it to be done on a points per game, game basis or what are the alternatives in terms of playing half a season or whatever whatever the options are. 
I think having absolute clarity on that before we even kick a ball um, would help. They say they had plans in place, but they weren't very visible, which is why they're probably getting the criticism criticism that they're getting now. But yeah, certainly, certainly not easy. Well, let's talk about the football that you played. And looking at the league table, I, I didn't think you got off to a bad start. How, how did you think Froome went uh, last season? Yeah, this, uh, from my point of view, it's probably um, we only played seven games. So it was really hard to read into it. We, um, I think we lost two games um, in that seven uh, from memory. It seems like a lifetime ago now. But um, yeah, I just remember it being a, a, a disappointing start from our point of view. We didn't really hit the ground running following on from what was an extremely successful season the, the year before. Um, but as we were coming towards the end with our, with our cup runs, we had a very good run in the trophy. Um, we just felt we were starting to hit our strides a little bit and um, looking like we were going to go on a, go on a bit of a run and we found some consistency in the way we were playing and the teams we were selecting. Um, so yeah, it was very, very early doors, disappointing start, but felt we were just starting to get going. So got to do it all again. Let's hope so. Um, now, obviously, the Southern League is a step up uh, from the Western League. And, uh, you know, we know the likes of Plymouth Parkway and Tavistock are very keen to be playing their trade at, at your level. Um, but from your perspective, as, as a man who's managed now at, at both levels, I mean, what have, what have you noticed about the step up? Initially, when I, when I left Bradford and, and made the step up to the Southern Prem um, in my first season with Froome, I think um, that was a huge step up. And I think... Being a young manager myself, I, I certainly under, underestimated the step. I took, a, I took a number of players from the Western League that I, I had huge faith in, either from Bradford or from um, clubs that, that we played against um, in the Western League. And um, I think the step up was, was massive, certainly underestimated it. I think the, the level we're playing at now, um, I looked at it the other day and actually um, 10 of the boys that were in my Bradford side um, are playing at this level of football now or or higher um so i don't think i think the top sides in the western league i think could come into this league and and hold their own being the biggest the biggest difference is that again but it's, it's going to happen at every every league where you step up is that mentality and professionalism fitness and what you do away from football um, that makes a difference and that's probably that's probably the only difference between the two leagues i would say uh, what about the quality of facilities and uh, you know the sort of the, the the club aspects that you know we all we all we all enjoy and we've all been missing over the last years? Yeah, again, I think as you as you go through the leagues, there's there's slightly more finances. Um, you get clubs who have who have played at a very good level and and for whatever reason have dropped through the league. So um, you get a bit of a mix. Um, you go to Tottenham, which which is uh, outstanding. They got. Uh, brand new facility or, or certainly like less than 10 years old facility that is used by Southampton and you enjoy going to places like that and then there's there's the odd place which um, could do with a bit of TLC uh, Froome could certainly do with a bit of TLC yeah every, everything improves as you go through the leagues and um, certainly the facilities and standard of pitches and, and standard of changing rooms and all that sort of stuff does go up when you go up the leagues but certainly uh Certainly, um, there's, there's, some, there's some very nice places down in the Western League to, to go and play your football as well. So no disrespect to, to, the, to the teams playing in that, in that league. I mean, you mentioned Bradford Town before and the quality of the players that you had there. I mean, is it a club that you're still following their results? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's one, of the, one of the first results I look out for when, uh, when we get into the bar after a game. I, I massively enjoyed my time there. 
got so much respect for the people behind the scenes who, who run the club and the supporters um, who I still speak to speak to now and reminisce about the some of the some of the great days that that I enjoyed it to be honest it was one of my um most um enjoyable periods in in football playing and managing um, and I'll, I'll, I'll remember it for a long time and I know um, a lot of the players and supporters do as well we had some we had some great times and uh yeah, certainly a result I look out for and want them to do well. Well, let's talk about some of those great memories. I mean, I, I can remember our conversations on the podcast. And I mean, we should remember that you were the man who took Bradford into Europe. You uh, you played that international <laughs> fixture on the Isle of Wight. And I remember you weren't only managing that day, were you? You were playing as well. Well, I wasn't meant to be. <laughs> and I wasn't meant to be. And I, I, I wasn't prepared either. So it was a strange set of circumstances actually leading to that game. I think... Um, I wasn't initially even going to name myself in the squad and I can't remember why. I think maybe a player let us down um, late. So there was a space on the bench. I ended up naming myself on the bench. Um, our keeper got sent off after five minutes. I never had any any kit with me. I, I hammer the players for not being prepared and there's me on the bench. No kit, no shin pads, no boots. So a um, bit of delay in tactics with uh, a player going down injured. Well, it took me a good 10 minutes to, to get all my kit on and get prepared. The fans booing me and uh, getting a load of abuse. But yeah, ended up going on and keeping a clean sheet. I think we uh, we won one nil and had a, had a great trip home. Well, that, yeah, and that, and that will be a, a great uh, great journey back from the Isle of Wight. But um, I mean, are there any other particular achievements that um, stand in your mind? I mean, I think you had a couple of encounters with Melksham Town that were quite epic, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, most of them ended uh, ended poorly from our behalf, from, the, from Bradford's behalf. Um, we did have the the, the one game where um, we were winning over the Easter period. Um, had a man sent off early doors, and I think um, going into half time two nil up. Uh, the weather was atrocious all day, and um, yeah, uh, the game got abandoned at halftime. Uh, waterlogged pitch, which was which was disappointing, and, and they they went on to to win the rearranged match, which ultimately I think secured their second place finish and and saw us finish um, joint joint third. I think if we had won that game, I think there's no doubt the momentum would have been with us, and I think we would have gone on and secured that second place. So um, yeah, that was uh, that was disappointing, but some great games against. Melksham for all the reasons there was a local rivalry the the um between the players and between the fans as well we always got good gates a lot of uh I got a lot of respect for, for Darren uh Darren Perrin over at Melksham so it was always good going up against his sides um but I, I Buckland Buckland was always a, a great one for us we had some great away trips down at Buckland in the in the bars and in the league and, and picked up a and some great results and I've always when I was at Bristol Manor Farm we always used to struggle going down to Buckland always was a tough place to go so um, to pick up some really good wins there with Bradford was uh, was really good but yeah lots of uh, lots of good memories lots of great games. Well great games need great players and um, over the years you've been lucky enough to to manage a fair few in your sides um i mean two players i'd like to pick out um, um for my time sort of in the western league dan cottle 
Um, I, I remember watching him as a very young man when he was playing at Welton Rovers. And, uh, you know, he, I know he excelled um, for you at, at, at Bradford Town. And ultimately, you took him. He was one of those players that you took with you to, to Froome. Uh, and then, of course, one of the players that you have, have now, who I, who I saw a fair bit of at both Poulton Rovers and at Melksham Town, even when Melksham were in the uh, Western League, um, is John Davis. Um, so I mean, are those? Uh, I mean, those those are players, in my opinion. It's worth sort of paying the attendance fee to watch them um, and play. I mean, is that are those the type of players that you you like as a manager? Are they, you know, is that your style of play? That sort of that that outgoing play? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, those two, you couldn't get you couldn't get much better in terms of ability than than those two boys um, that you just mentioned there, um, Dan Cottle. Brought him in from Welton into Bradford, and he had a he had a cracking couple of years at, at Bradford. And I, I didn't hesitate to take him to Froome for a number of reasons. It didn't quite work out, and he, he went back to Bradford. But um, again, in my in my second season at Froome, I, I didn't hesitate again in trying to get him back over. Um, and again, it, it didn't quite work out. Um, decided to leave and, and join Poulton that that summer, so we only had him for one season. But an outstanding talent, so much ability. Um, it's a little left foot, and uh, the way he can move with the ball and take take people on, and uh, yeah, great great talent. And same as John Davis, um, we're very lucky to have him at Froome. He should undoubtedly, undoubtedly could play higher. Um, it just so happens it suits his his family um, circumstances and his business, and being being local to Froome. But we don't take it for granted. We got to work hard to try and keep him. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd be a lesser side without John Davis in, in the team, and and so and, and anyone else would be a much better side with, with John Davis in the team. But yeah, I mean, I, I work all week. I, I work work all week. I, I, I um, on a Saturday when I go and manage a team, I want to enjoy what I, what I watch as well. Um, so you've got to have players like that in your side if you want to be successful match winners. Absolutely. Uh, now, um, you are a, a black manager and uh, you were a black player, of course. And um, I think one of the things that the pandemic um, has highlighted over the last 12 months, you know, we have had um, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and that's been very high profile in professional sport. I mean, looking at the sort of the lower levels of, of non-league, you know, the, the levels that, were, you know, the Southern League and the, um, uh, and the Western League um, occupy. I mean, what have your experiences been of, um, of, of racism in our game? Um, to be honest, um, I haven't experienced too many instances of, of outright racism, um, either to myself or to my players or, or to my teammates when I was playing. Um, it was, uh, I've, I've had one occasion um, where it was directed at myself and unfortunately that was when I was a 16-year-old boy making my, making my debut for Mangotsfield, um, playing against Redditch uh, down at Cosham Street. And it was it was horrendous to be honest. Um, it, it it got so bad the police the police were called. Fans got evicted from the grounds. It was all in the local press, and um, that was a really unsavoury um, occasion. Um, but I'd have to say, in terms of my experience, that was absolutely an isolated um, occasion. Little things every now and again that you you hear or pick up and. I think a lot of it comes down to um, ignorance rather than outright racism, calling you a name. Um, and at times um, you do often walk into a room or walk into a ground or walk past somebody and you just, 
you just get the sense that um, something's not quite not quite right without actually being called a name. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of outright racism, very limited. But I don't think it's something that we should we should take for granted. I think it's it's something that's in society. I think it is something that's in um, still in our in our game, but it's in is in everyday walk of life and not just discrimination against black people, uh, just discrimination in general um, is something that we need to just absolutely just keep an eye on, keep an eye on and make sure that we don't don't stand for it and make sure we've got things in place. That if it does occur, we deal with it um, uh, straight away. I'm really pleased to hear uh, that, you know, you, you haven't had those um, um, those issues. I think, unfortunately, one of the things that the, the press are rightly um, um, criticised for at the moment is chasing a story and that's the yeah. last thing I want to do because you know certainly I love the, the Western League I love the time I've spent f- watching football in the Southern League I've I, I think there's only been one incident of racism that where I was present although I, I didn't hear um, and, and see the act you know the action but I, I've always considered football at this level to be friendly to be family friendly and that's what I want it to be but but I don't think we can sit on our laurels if we want it to remain that way. And I mean, whilst um, overt racism, you know, is is in the minority. Um, I mean, are there sort of more casual um, examples, you know, where where perhaps players and even you know even managers are sort of treated differently or looked at differently by clubs and fans? Yeah, um, yeah, no, fair point. I I, I think there there, poss- there possibly are. Um, I know in in my time as a as a manager and a coach, sometimes there will be um, there have sometimes been players that have possibly been been singled out for for criticism significantly more than other players, and it just so happens that those players sometimes um, can be black players, um, and they get a higher level of criticism. Now that could be ignorance on um, some supporters' behalf potentially. Um, or it could be the fact that they're just out of form and not playing well. It could just be that. Um, but it, at times you 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 do look at it and think, well, is there an underlying reason for that? And is it is it colour? So I do think um, I do think it's something that that isn't out of our game. Yes, I haven't experienced it in a in a long long time. But you do sometimes pick up little things and you do question um, do question certain things. Like for example. With the in the Premier League and in football now, players taking taking a knee, and that's not necessarily taking a knee to try and um, raise awareness of um, racism. That's about equality and people treating everybody the same. It's not necessarily just just about black people. Um, and I've I've heard comments. Oh, I hope that doesn't come into our level of football. I hope we don't see our our players do that. And I just think. That is probably just a level of ignorance and and lack of education um, around what people are trying to stand up for. Um, so I, I certainly think is uh, is something that needs to stay on the agenda. It needs to be raised. I don't think there's an, enough happening in in non-league football to educate clubs, players, supporters, managers. You only have to look around um, the non-league scene and referees, for example. I, I, I don't uh, don't recall seeing a a, a black referee. Um, there, are, as you touched on, there's probably still limited black players. There's limit, certainly limited black managers. So um, you've got to be good enough first and foremost 
to go and be a referee or to be a player, to be a manager. Um, but I, I certainly think it, it certainly needs to stay on the agenda and be raised within non-league football. Well, one of the things I think that's come out of the coronavirus is we've realised how important non-league football is to its communities. And I think perhaps it's a, you know, it's a positive message that, you know, you've had the experiences that you've had. Hopefully part of that is because we are so close in non-league football to our players and our managers. So actually hurling insults from the, from the terraces is, uh, is a very different business at non-league grounds because, you know, the chap you're abusing is the guy you're going to stand next to at the bar and have a pint with after the game. So that's one of the benefits of our game. And I think we should, you know, this is something we, we can't rest on our laurels, but, you know, it's positive, very positive, Danny, to hear your comments on this. And uh, I suppose one final question, um, on particularly today of all days, um, the day that we can go back to playing grassroots football, um, I mean, you know, what what are your plans then for, from from now until next season? Is this the longest preseason you've had in football? And you know, are you going to be, uh, you know, what are your ambitions for Froome Town next season? Yeah, I think um, I think the the boys are going to be dreading it because it is going to be a a long preseason. Um, no, to be fair, we're 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 going to get the boys back together um, as quickly as possible. So we're going to start this week just just ticking them over once a week with a bit of training, more for. The social aspect and the the positive mental health um, that it that it brings, getting people back into um, a social environment where they can be with their friends and kick a ball around and, and get some fitness into their bodies. So we're going to do that for a few weeks and then break and then return for preseason um, in June and have a have a slightly longer preseason and get some more games under the belt. I think we've learned from last preseason where we tried to do certain things to take into account that we hadn't played a lot of football. Um, so we'll learn from that and make sure we have a better preseason this year so we can hit the ground running. Because um, in terms of our, our aspirations, we want to we want to try and um, get out of the league and get promoted as quickly as possible. We um, we felt slightly hard done by when the first season was null and voided. We were we were joint top of the league at the time and and going strong and aiming for that promotion, um, immediate promotion back to the Southern Prem, and, and that remains our ambition. But it's it's really tough. There's so many teams pushing for it. As looking around the West Country, you've got the likes of Poulton and Larkle and, and Melksham and um, teams like teams like that who who are all fighting for the same thing. So um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be exciting. And to be honest, it just be just be good to get back out onto the pitch and play some competitive football. It certainly will, Danny. Thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to get you back onto the uh, onto the podcast. Don't be a stranger because it may be that when you uh, when you celebrate that promotion, we we can get you back on again. But um, it's yeah. been lovely catching up with you. And look after yourself. And best of luck for the rest of this. Yeah, next thanks, week. Ian. Uh, appreciate appreciate you having us on. I think um, I think you do a cracking job. I always listen out for it and uh, listen out for the uh, to the podcast. So um, keep doing what you're doing because you're you're raising awareness of non-league football and the Western League doing a doing a brilliant job. And my thanks to Danny for his time. Uh, now, Jim, uh, during that interview, of course, we did hear about the um, uh, the issue of, of abuse um, uh, that um, that players um, can receive. And fortunately, you know, Danny Danny hasn't suffered a lot of that in his career. But you know, with the advent of the internet, particularly with social media, it, it's a greater risk today than it's ever been. I, I guess perhaps when you were involved in. Um, social media at, at Yeovil and at Bristol City, it was still in its infancy. It wasn't quite the blight that it is today. No, that's right. No, you said Dad, when I Twitter just came in when I was down at Bristol City. Um, so we were quite lucky, really. We didn't have to deal with 
so they call them morons really they're posting stuff but they've got no no comeback on what they're posting so you could just set up 10 different accounts different email addresses or whatever under a fake name and post what you like to someone call them any name you want to you wouldn't do it on the street but you could do it on social media and have no comeback on it um, you've only got to look this week Thierry Henry's uh, taken down his account and I'm sure there's others that have taken down their accounts but yeah we were quite lucky really because Twitter was just starting out so we didn't really I can't recall any players suffering any abuse um, obviously you get the odd one of you were crap today that sort of thing but nothing no racial abuse homophobic abuse or anything like that thankfully because I'm not sure how I would have dealt with it if I'm honest with you well the you know I suppose that represents the, the most ugly um, end of um, of social media I mean we do our best to champion social media and that's why it's been so important to have people like Mike Parrish on and, and Roland Millward who can talk about the benefits that Western League clubs can get but I guess fans and potentially even club accounts you know there's always the temptation isn't there to post that spur of the moment tweet you know when you feel that you've been you've been hard done by you know by a maybe it was a match official decision or you know a piece of foul play by an opposition player or a bit of goading really by an opposition um, supporter it's it's a very human thing to do and I think we've all found ourselves in situations where we've been about to press send um, but um, but what would your advice be if there's any doubt in the mind that actually perhaps that tweet's not the best thing to do don't do it simple don't do it if that number of times I think I've said it before number of times where I was sat at a game and you were getting messages come like we, I remember played down at Portsmouth Paul Sturrock was manager of Yeovil. We went down, it was nil-nil. Basically, we played a formation of the goalkeeper and 10 defenders. And it was just backs to the wall for 90 minutes. So I don't think we had a shot on goal. Rarely got in their half. And the Portsmouth fans were sending all sorts of tweets to us. And I really wanted to reply some, like, sarcastic... I can't remember what it was, but it was sarcastic reply back. And I thought, actually, no, don't. No, I just had that element of doubt in my mind... And I thought, no, because if I was on the other side as one of those fans, I would jump on it and it would, I think it would just made it worse. So that element of doubt, as soon as there was that in my mind, then I didn't do it, put it in the drafts and then leave it there. And as you said, delete it, get rid of it. I, I, that's one of the drawbacks, isn't it, of sort of social media communication and texting almost and, you know, and, and emails to a certain extent. It, you know, there isn't that human um element and I think probably that's the most important thing to remember when communicating using a you know social media uh, is that actually you're dealing with a human at the other end and 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 that understanding that empathy with humanities is not a bad thing to have at the back of your mind no it's not and also as you like rightly say if you're writing an email or a text or a tweet the other the person reading it the other end might not take it the way that you intended it so us talking now we're on video you can see people's body language whereas I would have meant the tweet back to them, to the Portsmouth fans, as a joke, but they probably would have read it as being serious and because there's no... You could put an emoji at the end of it, which I suppose helps a little bit if you put a winking emoji. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's so much easier saying it to someone. But then the abuse that people write on Twitter, they wouldn't personally say that to someone, would they? So um, No. I think you did well to turn the other cheek there, Jim. I mean, of course, as a Portsmouth fan, I've got skin in the game, but I know you're a good <laughs> chap. And, um, you know, we met when you were at Yeovil, so I forgive you, even if 
even if the, the hundreds of thousands of other Portsmouth fans don't. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> anyway, thank you for your time, as always, and, of course, your, your anecdotes. And, um, well, I look forward to catching up with you on next week's Tool Station Western League podcast. <laughs>